get your raincoat ready. It's a pop culture chat today. This is Here Now the News. I'm Jerry Barmash. As a fan of classic TV, I couldn't wait for this interview. David Koning has done several books about Disney World, but this time he takes on Lieutenant Columbo and Peter Falk. Recognized as one of the most iconic characters in TV history, the book traces the famed murder mystery series first on NBC in the 1970s and decades later on ABC. The constant, of course, was Falk, but we learned that he was a constant thorn in the producer's sides. Some guest stars were welcomed back over and over. Behind the scenes, Nicholas Colasanto, later coach on Cheers, directed an episode, as did someone who was about to explode in the movies. And I hate to bother you, but uh, just one more thing. Before Stephen Bochco created Hill Street Blues, he was a story editor on Columbo. Joining me today, pleased to have David Koning. He has uh, written the brand new book called Shooting Columbo, and there's a little bit more to it as well, The Lives and Deaths of TV's Rumpel Detective. Uh, David, thanks so much for being with me today here on Here Now the News. Thank you so much. Lots of questions. This should be fun. First off, I want to ask you, why did you choose this project? It was uh, a lifelong love of mine has, has been Columbo. I'm, I'm best known as a writer about the Disney company. I have six books out um, on all facets of uh, the first one was called Mouse Tales, a behind the years look at Disneyland. And that was so ex- successful and inspired more. But I was looking for something totally different. So I went back to uh, uh, one of the loves I had growing up, which was Columbo, something I loved since I was a small boy. I always wished there was a behind-the-scenes book about Columbo and was hoping someone would one day write it. And when, after many years, no one did, I figured, well, that's got to be me. There have been books, including the memoir by Peter Falk himself, but nothing is as detailed and and the summaries and and the the behind-the-scenes. What else separates your book from from the others? Well, there's uh, um, Peter Falk um, had his own sort of quasi- autobiography called Just One More Thing, which is a, a, a tremendous fun read. It's like several hours just sitting down with Peter Falk and listen to him tell stories. And it, it's not a, a complete look at the show. And there's a lot of fanciful things told. He, he never let the truth get in the way of, of telling a good story. So that it's not exactly reliable Columbo history. Uh, and there's been one other book, um, uh, outstanding book about Columbo, um, but it came out in 1989. It was called The Columbo File. So it came out before you know, a, a third of the shows were even made. And as well, uh, the author who did a spectacular do- job did not have access to all the production reports and, and scripts and memos and things that I was able to starting on it so many mer- years later. So it, this is really the first in-depth look at the whole series and with a, a revelation on every page. It really is. As they say, a page turner. Are, are you gearing this book to people who are uh, huge fans of the show and Peter Falk? Or is this for people who like television, like entertainment, that sort of thing, and, and learn something new? Yeah, it, it was both. It was, to me, there was no reason to do it if I was just playing down to the most uh, common denominator of people who just like TV. Um, it was uh, that sort of superficial treatment. There, there was no real that wouldn't have been worth my time or, or my interest i really wanted to satisfy my curiosity as a as a super fan of colombo of what really went on behind the scenes in making these episodes to answer all the questions that that the fans have had over the years of how did that come to be why is that there 
where did why does this character suddenly disappear out of this episode? What uh, uh, you know that type of thing. So, but written in a way that it would appeal to people who know very little about the show and still be enter- entertained by the book, um, but perhaps not quite to the level of somebody who's who's had the the burning curiosity about the the drama um, their whole lives. You learn, as you said, the revelations. So people who are big fans will will certainly get a big kick out of this because there's there's a lot uh, that you uncover. We don't have to delve into everything, but maybe a couple of little things we'll uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about. Um, and so I was I've been a big fan for years, although I don't really remember watching it as as a child. I was born in 68. So ironically, that's when the first I guess that was the pilot was in 60 or the TV movie they did in 68. Right. Right. Well, it depends who you talk to, which which when they actually made two pilots for Columbo, 68 was a, a prescription murder. And then three years later, they did another pilot called Ransom for a Dead Man. And if you depending on who you ask, uh, one of them was a pilot and one of them wasn't um, <laughs> because it, uh, for Peter Falk, Prescription Murder was never intended to be a pilot. That was just a TV movie he was doing, a one-shot. He had no intention uh, of, of doing a series and did not tell the producers of that at the time. Their intention was that this would be a pilot and that if it were successful, they'd spin it off into his own TV series. But uh, uh, to him, it was not a pilot. And then when they, he finally needed the money bad enough to do a series uh, three years later, NBC demanded a true pilot, which he had to do. It wasn't a true pilot in the sense that they were testing the waters to see if it would turn into a series. They already knew it was going to turn into a series. They just wanted an extra episode of Columbo out of Peter Falk, and it worked. <laughs> yeah, they, they already knew it would be successful even the three years later, I'm sure. They, they, they knew uh, they, they had the track record already established. And did you plan it this way, that it would be this week was the 50th anniversary of that first regular episode of uh, Columbo? Did you, did you have it as a target date in mind? I did. I didn't know if I would finish the book in time because halfway through it, the pandemic hit and all the research institutions that I had relied on to uh, seek out, uh, you know, private archives and papers, they all shut down and people for interviews stopped letting me come to their house. So I thought, "Uh oh, I don't think I'm going to make that deadline. (laughs) I think, uh, I think I'm in trouble, but fortunately, um, I was able to interview even more people than I feared uh, I would be able to because uh, those who were still in the business suddenly had no business. They were, they were locked in their homes with nothing better to do than to take my call and give me an interview. So that actually helped, even though I, I was not able to meet them in person. And fortunately, after all the, the research institutions um, like UCLA and Boston University and the American Film Institute and such. Actually, they've been closed for some months. Um, they start not letting researchers back in, but their staff in. And I was able to contact and work closely with their staff and through some creative means able to view, in a sense, uh, everything that I needed to see. And and as you said, with interviews, you you have, it seems, many of the uh, who are alive, who are, you know, still around. And many are uh, producers, writers from, from the, especially from the, uh, from the seventies era. Right. Yeah. From the seventies and from the later era, era too, it just being closer, more of them were, were still alive if they were in their thirties, right. uh, you know, 30 years ago, they're most of them, they're still around. And, and whereas quite a few of them from the seventies have passed, but there were, 
there were a number of key players who, who never really spoke extensively on their work on Columbo for whatever reason. Um, hmm. And they did speak with me and were able to share some amazing, uh, amazing stories. That's great. I'm sure there are surprises. Did you learn, did you go into this uh, finding out new information? Oh, a hundred percent, because as much as I uh, enjoyed the series, I did not, I was not a Columbo expert going into this project. I, I, you know, knew that the titles and the, the, which ones I liked and which ones I didn't, but I knew from past reading and even in the TV guide when I was a boy that, that Peter Falk could be a handful behind the scenes and uh, other books and writings had sort of hinted at some, some interesting drama behind the scenes, but I, I really wanted to know what was going on back there. Um, and so all that information, which makes up the bulk of the book, none of that did I have any idea, any inkling of, of the extent of the craziness that went on. From an outsider, and again, I've watched mostly on uh, the reruns over the years, and now it's streaming, it's on Peacock. In fact, just before we, we were doing this, um, they have on Cozy TV, I don't know if you know Cozy TV, and they're, they're running actually a marathon all day of Columbo for the 50th anniversary, but they're only running the 80s and the, uh, and the 90s or the 2000s. Um, they're not running anything from the 70s, which is odd, because if not for the 70s, they wouldn't have had the 80s or the, the later, later ones. And then I'm, I'm, so I'm watching that and I'm reading from, from the book as well. So uh, we'll prepare. Yeah, Cozy going. TV is the, uh, the antenna and streaming uh, division of NBC. Um, so uh, a, it does go to some satellite and cable channels as well, but it's primarily made for uh, antenna feed. Um, and they just have the rights currently to the 1989 through 2003, the ABC years. That's, that's all they currently have the rights to. And there's another channel called MeTV, which has the rights to the 70s episodes. So I know it, it always changes and Cozy's hopeful they'll be able to get the uh, uh, rights to the 70s again at some point. But currently they, they're just not allowed to show them. So if they, if they could, they would, but. They can't. Oh, so, that, so, oh so that's why. Yeah, because I do see, right, they have it on uh, on MeTV. So right. even though it's an NBC property and the, those were an NBC show, it, it's all contractual now, which was that for me, as you said, that was the big surprise that every year uh, that he was holding out uh, for more money. And and I think even to the later years, uh, he was doing that. I didn't finish. I'm still, I'm up to like season five, <laughs> so I haven't gotten done yet. But, but it's, a, I mean, I got the book a few days ago and, and I'm already like uh, halfway through, more than halfway through. Yeah, that was, th- that, that I had no idea. It, re- it reminds me of the, the, uh, the back and forth with uh, Carol O'Connor and Norman Lear, how they were always in a way, you know, verbally butting heads at least. Yeah, this was going on at the exact same time because um, in the early 70s, um, there was only one program that was consistently higher rated than Columbo, and that was All in the Family. So quickly, uh, Carol O'Connor and Peter Falk became the two highest paid uh, actors in television. And it was because of how well their shows did, coupled with how aggressive they were in pushing for, uh, pushing for raises. It's interesting how, and I never thought of that before, about how Cozy is owned by NBC, yet they don't have the rights to the NBC show. And that in a sense makes sense because NBC never owned the show. It was uh, created and owned by Universal Pictures, Universal Studios. So they own the show. Um, but as the 
demands for higher salary by Peter Falk escalated. Universal very quickly on about three, four seasons in was like, no, we're not doing it. You know, you can walk away, Peter Falk. You may be this uh, number one show on NBC, but you're just a semi-profitable franchise for us. We don't get any, uh, you know, benefit of those ratings. So starting in about the third season, NBC had to actually pay part of Peter Falk's salary to get him to come back. And they, through the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh season, they were putting in a considerable amount of money for production on top of the money they were already paying Universal to run the show once plus one or two reruns. So in a sense, they did pay for the show, even though they, they own no part of it now. And again, I don't get a sense, even though he was, I don't know, volatile, but he certainly seemed to be, uh, you know, missing days and, and taking sick days, allegedly stretching out time and, and delays. So it seems that he was he could be difficult in certain ways. But I never got the sense from what you were uh, writing and what you found out that he was that either he was going to quit, even though he said it, it seems every every summer or every year and that they ever were going to get rid of him. And and it seems like he knew uh, that he was in control. And you say it many times that Peter Falk was Columbo and that the show could not could not survive without him, I guess. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. And I think his struggles were never with a mean spirit is that most of the time, there were, there were two reasons, basically. Uh, the main reason was he wanted the best show possible, and Universal Studios wanted to crank out as profitable a show as possible. So Peter Falk would insist on slowing things down and taking time to make a better show. That was his, his, his rationale besides that. Uh, his money demands were, he saw that this was one of their most profitable shows. It was... Uh, you know, a, a top 10 show, most of its, its existence. Um, and that he knew that there was no show apart from him. So he thought it only right that he become compensated for that. And he was, and that actually, unfortunately <laughs> led to, led to the end of the show the first time because it just got too expensive and he just became too difficult to work with. And he wanted the show to continue into the eighties and uh, it stopped because they, they just had enough of him. Yeah. What, what, what did it go to? Was it 77, 78? Yeah. It went to the 77, 78 seventh season was the, was the final season for, for about 10, 11 years. Um, and it just uh, a, a new leadership at NBC came in and said, I don't care if, uh, if uh, Columbo is the highest rated show on NBC, it, it's only on three, four, five times a year anyway, and it's costing us a fortune. It's not doing us a, enough good. We need cheaper, younger, sexier shows that are on every week uh, to replace it. So they let Columbo lapse and replaced it with a show called Mrs. Columbo, which was in- intended to be younger and sexier and hipper and more fun and most of all, a lot cheaper to produce because they were paying, you know, they were not paying Peter Falk. Right. Kate Mulgrew, who later we would see on uh, Captain on uh, one of the Star Treks. Which uh, Star I think, Trek, right. Uh, no, Voyager. Star, uh, Voyager, right. And then uh, Orange is the New Black as well. Uh, and that was, uh, what, 79, 79, 80 season? Right, right. Exactly right. And of course, 
as you know very well, with the the Mrs. Columbo, which was, of course, a spinoff, she's mentioned almost every episode um, or alluded to in in every episode, but you you never see her. And I I was just at the part where uh, on the cruise they had a draft where they're actually going to show her on the cruise. And then ultimately uh, they didn't, I guess there's just an angle where you see him waving or something, but you don't see her face. Right. Exactly that's right. That's in the, in the fourth season, an episode called troubled waters with Robert Vaughn as the, as the villain. And that was a consideration since it was a running gag sort of that you'd never see Mrs. Columbo and he'd constantly have a story about his wife. And I think almost if not every single episode, um, and that was going to be the big reveal he, his contract was only through the fifth season, so he thought it was nearing the end and the, the, the joke was kind of played out so that they would finally unveil her on the cruise because how could you he go on a cruise with her and you not see her? And at the last minute, they chickened out and, uh, <laughs> and left her unseen, which is probably for best. You know, I, I, what I love about the show also is that, as, as you point out, it's, uh, and, and for those who don't know who haven't seen Columbo, it's what's called an inverted mystery. Uh, where you are, you're there, you're watching the murder happen from the beginning. Uh, and then it's, it's up to Columbo to solve it. And you're, you're with him. And, uh, and, and throughout there are episodes where there are twists and turns uh, that you think it's this person. And then either it's not, or there is an, uh, an extra layer that, that changes along the way in the uh, I forget what it's called. There's uh, Act Two something. You you, you mentioned it. I right. Yeah. I, well, that's not that. I just made up for the book. And oh, you... <laughs> I don't know that people have ever had that, but I call it the the Act Two switcheroo, which is uh, something that one of their best writers they ever had was a fellow named Jackson Gillis. And his uh, training, his background was working as a story editor and primary writer for the Perry Mason series. And if you've ever seen an old Perry Mason, that's exactly how that show works is about halfway to two thirds way through everything's turned on its head. And the mystery you thought was being investigated or the case you thought was handled actually turns out to be something completely different. Uh, and, and then that leads to the resolution. And he introduced that um, in uh, episode called suitable for framing in the first season. And almost if not every episode he wrote, and he wrote like about 10 different episodes, every episode he he did. He had one of these act two switcheroos where you think it's going one way, like like in the, the cruise episode or some of the others where you think it's one way. And then all of a sudden, two thirds of the way through. Nope. That, you know, our murderer turns up dead or something. You know, it's uh, something completely unexpected. I'm always looking up like different trivia. Like if I watch an episode, I'll like almost like a director's cut. Like I'll try to like look along and see like, you know, like IMDB and they'll have different trivia for an episode or whatever. Uh, and I'm not trying to uh, stump you because you're the expert, but and I know, you know, because it's probably, you know, all of this is in there. The only episode uh, that uh, we're taking a break and doing trivia right now. Uh, the only episode <laughs> that Lieutenant Columbo lets the murderer go do you know you know what that one is, right? I assume that's uh, Forgotten Lady. Yeah, Forgotten Lady. Janet Lady. Janet Lady, yeah. yeah. Which is I, one of the more uh, sentimental episodes, I think, for you know, for, for all of the, I guess she, she's dealing with some sort of dementia. Right, yeah. It, she plays an older actress. The, the episode was originally written to star Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. It, it was written at the time that the big hit movie at the time was That's Entertainment, which was this MGM retrospective of Astaire and Rogers and, you know, old, old MGM musicals. And so that was a real big hit. So they wanted to do an episode about that in which 
the old dance team in their later years, um, the woman has poor health, but she doesn't realize the extent of it. So she wants to have a big career comeback. Um, and uh, her husband, who's a doctor, realized that that would probably kill her. So he's, he's preventing her from doing that. And she kills the husband. And at the end, um, she doesn't even remember she did it. And it's, it's, it's rather kind of sweet for a, <laughs> for a Columbo and for a murder. And her old partner takes the, takes the blame uh, to save her. You know, he's always been in love with her and, and such. And uh, Peter Falk loved that because one thing he did through the series is he really did not like it when they had a female murderer. He had uh, to him, women don't, you know, they're, they're, you should have more respect for women than that to make them that type of character. So he didn't like the episodes in general um, where the murderer was a female, but this one he really did because, you know, she, she was such a sweet, lovable uh, character, except for that bad habit of killing her husband. Right. Other than that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you see, as he does with a lot, he's uh, you know, he ingratiates, which is certainly a, a trait where he tries to pull uh, clues out. And I think in this time, it, this one, it certainly seemed even more genuine sitting down with the screening room and watching the movies, which I think is an actual old uh, Janet Lee uh, uh, film clip, I believe. It is. It's called uh, uh walking my baby back home. It was an old uh, universal produced uh, movie. They didn't do a whole lot of musical movies, but they realized for this, uh, when, when Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers could not do the movie and they had a number of others um, that they considered um, their first pick was a movie that they themselves had produced just because they knew they were going to need clips from when they were younger. Um, So there were uh, Leslie Caron and others who they had, had considered hiring, but uh, um, this is the one they got. I, ironically, the co-star in that movie to her was Donald O'Connor. And so that was the idea to have Janet oh. Lee and Donald O'Connor in the leads. And uh, at the last minute, he was unable to do it. And they got uh, John Payne to fill in. I, I was thinking as we were getting ready to do this interview, what my favorite episode is uh, of Columbo. And and it's hard. It's hard for me to think of one because there's so many that I like. But here's the one. Here's the one that I came yeah. up with um, by Dawn's Early Light. I really enjoy that episode. Excellent. Yeah, that's one of my top 10 as well. And mostly because of uh, Patrick McGowan, the the villain. It's uh, I mean, the whole episode is good, but what really elevates it is him. They, they'd originally um, signed a, a contract with Ed Asner um, to play the murderous general of a all boys uh, military academy who ends up uh, uh, killing the fellow who wants to turn it into a co-ed school. Um, but then Ed Asner got so fed up with Peter Falk during one of his many contract ploys that he, he pulled out and they at the last minute got Patrick McGowan, who was not known at all in the United States, only overseas where he'd done a couple of, uh, like a secret agent type series and one called the prisoner, which was this quirky, odd sort of series. Um, And they got him to do it. And he is such an interesting, unique actor, unlike anybody uh, had ever been on Columbo before. And Peter Falk was just mesmerized. He just, he just loved working with Patrick McGowan. And if you, I mean, the, just the screen sizzles when those two are, are together. It just elevates what would have been a good episode into, you know, an outstanding one. 
and Peter Falk could hardly wait to have Patrick McGowan back again and again and again. And he actually uh, ended up appearing in a record four episodes as uh, the murderer and directed several more beyond that. Did, did he direct any of the ones he was in? He did. He, the next season, uh, I guess uh, uh, there was one called Identity Crisis he directed, which uh, he plays sort of a, a secret agent. Um, there was another one called Agenda for Murder in the later ABC years. And then there was uh, one called Ashes to Ashes, one of the very final Columbos in which he plays a uh, funeral director uh, in which he, he appears and directs. And then he directed three other episodes in which he did not star. Did not star. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one, I, I just, like you say, I, it's just a powerful exchange between the two of them. I think he, he's great. Um, and uh, it, I, that was an interesting revelation when you said about Ed Asner. I'm pointing to the book. I don't know why I'm pointing. Right. Uh, that, that was great. I mean, of course, we just lost Ed Asner. And uh, right. right. You know, when you think of uh, Peter Falk won four times for this, I think that Ed Asner won three or four himself for uh, for for playing Lou Grant. Right. Um, and Patrick McGowan won for uh, for this role as well. So it uh, yeah, they were all well, well recognized. Um, also recognized was behind the scenes there. You had a lot of talent that would become uh, hugely famous in uh, in TV and movies right from the get go. huh? Uh, such as. Oh, I was saying like in the first episode, I was giving <laughs> the first episode, the director, I was uh, I was kinda, I was like leaning you in. <laughs> oh, OK. All right. I did. I missed the, those right. bright red waving flags. Yeah, the. The first regular season uh, episode of season one that, that came out almost exactly 50 years ago, uh, September 15, 1971, was called Murder by the Book, and it was directed by a 24-year-old Steven Spielberg. He, at the time, Peter Falk was kind of nervous because this is his new series, and here we're entrusting the what was known as the, the most well-respected script they had at that point to this this kid who'd done a couple of night galleries and, you know, not, not much else. Um, but after he met him and talked to him and saw him work on the first scene, he was, he was sold. He was like, Oh my gosh, this kid's got it. It was so innovative and so talented doing things that he'd never seen before that uh, he, he became an immediate fan to the point to where they were dying for him to do another one. But, you know, he quickly, uh, rose up uh, to feature films and, and there was no, no turning back. Yeah. Uh, and then what, three years later, four years later, four years yeah. later, I guess he yeah, was, just couple that, was working on Jaws, right? Peter Falk and his creative control. What do you make of that? Ultimately, I noticed in the, the ABC episodes that he was either co-executive producer or, or, or something. That never happened with NBC, right? In the earlier uh, that, episodes. Yeah, that's correct. Is he, he was a very, distrustful person toward others who he didn't uh, uh, realize were more talented than himself and had his best interest in mind. So he, he only through his life only had a handful of people who whatever they said, he would, he would do what they said. So he always thought in the back of my mind, I could do a little bit better than that. I could do a little bit better than that. So uh, like with the dialogue for Columbo, he always rewrote every single line of dialogue Columbo ever delivered throughout the 35 years and 69 mysteries. 
is he wouldn't memorize the script. He Sometimes he wouldn't even look at the script until he got to the set that day. But uh, as the series went on and he became one of the producers, he'd at least read them over beforehand. But he wouldn't memorize them until the morning uh, to shoot that scene because he, A, wanted it to be fresh, but B, he knew he was going to rewrite it and try out 10 different versions anyway. So it wouldn't be drastically different, but he'd rephrase it in his own words as he thought the real Columbo would voice that that dialogue um and so it started with that being that amount of control and then he saw uh the directors who were being hired some of which were great uh and he thought he could do better so he wanted to direct an episode and then also in the first season he thought he could write better and he wanted to write an episode and they actually uh said well go right ahead write an episode and he tried to write one and realized how difficult it was to to do that that special inverted mystery format and just to carry on an episode for an hour and a half of basically two guys just circling each other and finally uh, took his notes, put it in a box for 30 years and walked away. Wow. And as you say, with the uh, directing, it, it was, it was fascinating uh, learning about that. I, I didn't even realize I should have, I mean, you know, his name is on the credits in one of the episodes. It's called Blueprint and, for Murder. Yeah. And, and again, that behind the scenes learning about, Again, making uh, delays and, and these demands that either for a contract renewal for more money. And in this case, he wanted to direct and they kept, you know, moving the goalposts. They kept right. pushing it and, and delaying it. And uh, and then ultimately they they felt they had no choice, I guess. And, and they gave it to him. Uh, but it doesn't seem like I, I don't know if he directed. Maybe he directed a feature film at some point. I'm not sure. No. But no, he never Just did. That one episode and his uh, and, and he was and he was done. He goes, "Oh my goodness, this is this is much harder than I thought, especially to to act in it as well." But for me that the whole instance of him going out on strike and a sick out and and all the all the uh maneuvers he did to to squeeze and and blackmail Universal into letting him direct an episode, um to me the most interesting part is that when he would go out on on sick leave is they didn't have time to just shut down and figure, Oh, we'll resolve this issue. And then next week or the week after we'll pick back up. They didn't have time to do that. They had uh, a handful of months to complete all the episodes. And then Peter Falk was leaving for Broadway. So everything had to be finished in a, in a matter of days. So after he missed the first day, they got his stand in and they put him in Peter Falk's coat. And you can even see in a couple episodes in which he, he sort of went out on strike. You can see the stand-in who, who looks a lot like Peter Falk, but not exactly. You know, you can see him in long shots and over-the-shoulder back shots and uh, in things on the days when when Peter was homesick. Interesting, yeah. We we talked about guest stars, other ones that stand out. I know Robert Culp, I think, did three episodes. Yeah, I, Jack Cassidy also, I think, right? Right. But also did three. Yeah, yeah. They were they were among the. Uh, the greatest, the um, uh, Robert Culp in particular loved doing Columbo um, because a, he was just that perfect kind of smarmy, handsome, you know, seething anger, yet trying to be cool, you know, classy guy that was the, the opposite of, of Columbo. So his personality fit right in, but also he worked a lot like Peter Falk, in which he liked things to be fresh and unpredictable and not over-rehearsed. So whereas a lot of Peter Falk's co-stars were driven nuts when he'd go, just just one more thing. When he wanted, you know, take number 20, they go, oh my gosh, not again. We're going to try this again. 
Robert Culp loved it because he did the same thing. He took his lines of dialogue and he twist them and add in bits of business and, and sort of a, a very improv feeling. And so when those two are together on the screen, also just, uh, uh, just fireworks, terrific together. Yeah, absolutely. And again, they know, and they, you know, they got to have them all back. Um, the, um, just one more thing is that 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 wasn't an ad lib, right? That was in the script. No, that, yeah, there were a lot of ad libs over the years by Peter Falk. That wasn't one of them. And how that started was it was in the script, in the visual, original script for Prescription Murder when it was a stage play is the uh, this might be hard for people to imagine who've never used a typewriter because uh, now we're everything, uh, you know, you cut and paste and erase and make a new document and, and such, but you couldn't do that with a typewriter. So when the, the writers were originally writing prescription murder, that, that first stage play, they had the end of a scene. Uh, they had their character, Columbo, the detective walk out the door and it's over. And then as they look back, they realize, you know what, this scene isn't long enough. We need them to discuss one more issue and we need to have him bring up one more possible clue, but we've typed up this whole page. I don't want to retype this page. So instead they just got another page and had him after he leaves bopping his head back in the door and going, ah, just one more thing coming back in and continuing the scene. And that stayed in the, the play, uh, even though it was sort of an emergency, you know, laziness edition. And Peter Falk developed it into a running shtick where, you know, almost every episode of Columbo, there'd be just just one more thing. And, and it was a way of, well, it was the way of disarming the would-be murderer or obviously in some cases just completely frustrating them and, and getting to the point where they, you know, act out almost. And, and clearly that shows that they, in his mind, that they are the murderer just just right. waiting for that uh, for that moment. Uh, I want to ask you a little about the the wheel. The uh, for those who don't know, when I guess it already had started the NBC Sunday Night, um, the mystery movie that they were doing in seventy. Did they? Well, they they had done a couple of uh, NBC had done a couple of uh, the shows where it was different series put together at the same time on the same day of the week. Um, so they'd done a couple of shows, the bold ones and. Uh, uh, name of the game and other things which were really not they were still one series but starred like different stars in each episode who kept coming back and the first true true wheel and this uh, a little more close to Columbo was the year before uh, Columbo started it, this started in 1970 um, but their idea was to have four different series uh, sort of adventure detective type series but instead of doing one the first week and then another one the second week and then another one the third week and so on, rotating, their idea was to have all the episodes for each series run back to back to back to back. And then when they showed all those, then they'd go to the next one. So they started out with McLeod and McLeod would run for six weeks or oh. however many episodes they produced. And then they would go to the next one, uh, the psychiatrist, and then that would run its six episodes in and San Francisco International Airport, and that would run its episodes. Um, that was one of the reasons they got Peter Falk to agree to do a series, is they said, well, well, we'll do it wheel style, where you'll just have to do six episodes instead of, you know, 24. And so he said, well, okay, I need the money, and uh, and I can do six. It actually turned into eight, but uh, he, he'd originally agreed to do six. 
uh, and that's how the wheel worked um, with Columbo rotating with McLeod and McMillan and wife in that first year. But their thought was to do Columbo's on the first week, McMillan and wife's on the second week, McLeod's on the third week, and then we start over again so that you'd never go too far without any series. Episode three times a piece because it was so, nobody wanted to see McLeod three times, but uh, they certainly did want to see as much Columbo as possible. And, and did it start on a Wednesday? That also I wasn't aware of. I right, yeah, was that always... was the very first first year was uh, was Wednesday, the NBC uh, Wednesday night mystery movie. And then when it was such a hit, they decided, oh, we've got to get this to an even more better visible night uh, on Sundays after the their highly rated Wonderful World of Disney show. So they moved it uh, to Sunday nights and they replaced it on Wednesday with another NBC mystery movie where they had Banachek and um, Madigan. And I, I can't think of all the series, but uh, four different sort of detective series, most of which were bombed and got replaced by other detective series. And then they canceled the whole thing on Wednesday night and just went with Sunday because they figured, well, no matter how good these shows are on Wednesday, they don't have Columbo. No, And that's what I was going to say. Was that the, um, the anchor of the wheel? Yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. And that's, uh, I think, uh, uh, Rock Hudson, who starred in Macmillan and Wife and Dennis Weaver, I've heard quoted referring to the success of McLeod, that they knew that Columbo was the reason that their series were successful because so many people got used to watching that time slot because they love Columbo. And, uh, well, it's McLeod, darn, but I'll still watch. And they, they greatly benefited that. And then in later years, as Peter Fox started to become difficult, and the episodes started becoming airing more unpredictably. That's when everything sort of sort of uh, started falling apart because people didn't know. Okay, what well, what are our chances of of uh, seeing Columbo this week? There hasn't been a Columbo on in two three months. Is Columbo dead? And uh, you know, they, <laughs> nobody knew. And then did they add a fourth ep- a fourth uh, show? Yeah, in the, in the it second out well? season, right? Yeah, they wanted to pad it out. It was a big complaint by Peter Falk as he thought NBC was taking advantage of Columbo and was relying too heavy on it because they were rerunning every episode to death all through the next summer. Um, and, you know, the McClouds might air once or twice along with the McMillan and Weiss. And here they were running three times or more all the, the Columbos and he thought it would wear out its welcome. So he said, we have to, you know, somebody needs to take the pressure off of, <laughs> off of Columbo and have other things if you're not willing to run the Macmillan and Wife's three or four times. Um, so they did others with uh, Heck Ramsey, which was this uh, Old West forensic doctor and uh, uh, series with, uh, uh, with Tony Curtis uh, and, and others. Yeah, that was season, season six. And, that, and Quincy became the only show uh, be besides Columbo to just be a blockbuster to the point where they pulled it out of the wheel and made it its own weekly series. Instead of an hour and a half, once every, you know, four weeks, it became an hour long every single week. Was that the only one of, uh, from the entire wheel that, that was a standalone? I think show? so. I, I, going off of my memory, I can't think of anything else that was spun off to be its own weekly series. I might be forgetting something, but I, I don't think so. Yeah. No, no. I, 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 that's my guess. I, I don't know. Yeah. You, but you're the expert. Okay. So. You're, you're quizzing me. 
<laughs> 50 years, as we said, plus, but since it was a, a first run uh, episodes 50 years ago, why has it stood the test of time uh, and then some for all this, uh, all these decades? Well, I think it's because, uh, especially now at a time when people are sort of ill at ease and looking for something, uh, a place of comfort, is it, it just takes us back to this uh, uh, time in the 70s where even though it's a murder mystery, you know, and there's some, some bad things going on, you know, everything's going to be okay. You're there with this quirky friend who's just a blast to hang out with. I mean, he, the character of Columbo is just like Peter Falk in which he could drive you a little crazy, but he was just so much fun to be around all the time. Um, you knew not only how it was going to end, but how it was going to begin, even though it was uh, suspenseful and interesting all the way through the, the costumes and the sets and the music are, are just first rate and so evocative of the seventies, even the eighties and nineties episodes, just the best ones feel like you're still in the seventies with those, those colors. And it's just, uh, you know, it's a, it's a nice, comfortable puzzle that's completely, completely well done. And, and more than anything, of course, is, is Peter Falk. I mean, the, the show's great, but he is, you know, he's why most people come back over and over and over again to find out uh, what he's going to be up to each week. Yeah. Four time Emmy award winner for the show. Uh, I, I forget that he won actually uh, in 1990 on one of the, uh, on the ABC version. Uh, oh, I want to ask you about the book uh, quickly. We're talking about the book, but sure. the cover is amazing. I mean, the first thing that, that stands out is the font, the color, the size. I mean, it's exact. I was taking I was like looking at it and matching. I was like, wow, look at that. It's exactly like, um, so you, you know, you took really painstaking detail to get that right. I, ha I had the sort of I wanted, but I wanted it to be uh, a painting. I didn't want it to be an actual photograph. Um, so found the most in incredible artist. His name is Kevin Dowski. Um, and he created this painting of Peter Falk that to me looks like a photograph only better and with the uh, just the glow and the hue and the it, I mean, it, it's just really comes to life um, and then had him set it up as if it were, you know, a title from Lumbo with that same font and the same yellow color and layout. And I just it, it's just spectacular. I could not uh, I've written seven books. And I mean, wow, I just I, I was just blown away with what he created. And it's perfect because he's saying, you can see him basically saying just one more thing. I mean, it's really in that that's, mode, yeah. you know, that's, and it's got everything there. It's got, yep. it's got the cigar. I mean, he's always got the cigar. He's obviously always got the, uh, almost always he's wearing the uh, the raincoat. He's got the, the notepad. I mean, it's, it's great. I want to thank you again. This was, uh, I had a fun time with this. David Koenig, again, shooting Columbo, the lives and deaths of TV's Rumpel Detective. Bonaventure Press, by the way, is uh, the publisher. Thanks again for doing this. Thank you, Jerry. Well, I enjoyed that. I hope you did as well. Once again, the book is called Shooting Columbo, The Lives and Deaths of TV's Rumpel Detective. It's by Bonaventure Press. It's available now. Thanks to David Koenig. If you have any questions or comments about Columbo or anything else, including episode suggestions, give me a holler on Twitter at Jerry Barmash. You can email me here now, the news JV at gmail.com and find me on Facebook as well. Your feedback is always appreciated. Back soon with another edition. I'm Jerry Barmash. Thanks for listening.